This is the Rocky Mountain Review Podcast. I am your co-host, Gabe Peterson. And I'm your other co-host, Julia Battalese. This is the Rocky Mountain Review, the live news show that airs 4 to 5, Tuesday and Thursday, on KCSU that has turned into a podcast. And this is what you missed this week. Yeah. KCSU Fort Collins and KCSUFM.com. I'm Julia Battalese. And I'm Gabe Peterson. And you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review. Welcome to the Rocky Mountain Review. I am Julia Battalese, one of two co-hosts. I'm here with my co-host, Gabe Peterson. How's it going? Not bad. Uh, we also have Andy Steves here with us today. What's up? What's up? <laughs> um, we'll be getting a new, an interview with him very uh, very soon. And we also have J.D. Layton, our national news correspondent, as well as our next news director. I'm the co-co-host. Mm-hmm. The co-co. Yes. Co-co-co. Please co. stop. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Up first uh, for the show, we have um, the interview with Andy Steves. He'll be talking about his book, Europe, City Hopping on a Budget. Um, then a little later, we'll be going into local news and talk a little bit about um, the river cleanup that was canceled here in Fort Collins. Um, then we'll come. Then later we have sports, uh, which Gabe will be doing, taking over today. Um, later again, we'll have national news. We'll talk a little bit more about some issues that airlines have been having recently, um, specifically American Airlines and Delta Airlines. Um, after that, we have a music segment done by our own DJ Danish. Um, and then later we'll probably have our weed segment with uh, Dylan Simonson. He'll be coming on the show. And uh, of course, we have weather coming up later. So. Um, anyway, I'll give it to you, Gabe. You can take it away. Yeah, so as Julia said, we are joined in studio with Andy Steves, author of Europe, City Hopping on a Budget. How are you doing, Andy? Doing well. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Yeah, it's great to be in Fort Collins. <laughs> yeah, of course. You were just telling us about your crazy week. Um, yeah, so my first question to you, in, your, in the introduction to your book, My Travel Philosophy, you kind of talk about good travel is about two things, bringing the right mindset to embrace the unexpected and sorting out the practical logistics. Can you kind of break that down for us? Absolutely. And that's actually what I'm getting into in my book talk tonight at 6 p.m. at Fire Old Firehouse Books. Um, that's really what it's all about. Pursuing good travel is all about two things, bringing that right mindset and knowing how to get from point A to point B, where to stay, what to do once you get there. Um, I feel that it's it's so easy to get into one like what should I pack and how do I find the best hostel and and how do I find the cheapest flights but you also got to remember you got to break yourself out of your comfort zone break out of your American bubble and really engage and interact with the local cultures that you're there to visit so mobile technology and smartphones help a lot today when we're traveling through Europe and the rest of the world but you also got to remember to put them away and uh, and really engage with the people in front of you so in this book do you kind of do you talk more about like long extended periods of stay or are you kind of talking about weekend trips, how to afford weekend trips? How can people maybe buy a ticket Thursday and stay till Sunday? Is that kind of the emphasis of this book? Good question. So it kind of, um, I should explain a little bit about the background of the book. I run a tour company called Weekend Student Adventures. That provided the foundation. I just really compiled all of my notes that I had from touring thousands of students through cities like Paris or Prague or Budapest. And I put those into concise chapters that can help all travelers make the most of their time and their money in the city. So it's designed for study abroad students who have three-day weekends who want to get out to Amsterdam and experience the Anne Frank House and the Van Gogh Museum. Um, but it's also really helpful for people who just have two weeks of vacation a year and they want to make the most of their time in Europe. So I'm all about, again, helping people um, have the best possible experiences, but also saving money and making the most of their travel on the road. Have you always wanted to be like a travel writer, <clears throat> a travel author, or how did this start? Did you go on a study abroad program yourself? 
Um, and kind of how did you how did you start thinking about writing a book and starting Weekend Student Adventures? Sure. Again, we need to go way back. I was born into a traveling family. So my dad is Rick Steves. He's the guidebook writer, the TV show host, the uh, marijuana legalization uh, proponents uh, these days. And um, I, my mom, my sister and I would go visit him wherever he was in Europe on these long European tours, updating his guidebook or making his TV show. Um, and so from day one, I was learning how to travel independently through Europe with the family. Then I took took a backpacking trip on my own. Then I worked as a tour guide for my dad's company for a couple summers. And by the time I studied abroad, I'd been to Europe 21 times. So it just made sense for me to be the one to organize all these weekend trips for my friends. That's when the need really struck me when it was five students and then 10 and then 30 students coming with me every weekend, wherever I was going, just because I knew how to find the best spots. I knew I had friends on the ground and I knew the best restaurants. Did you ever feel like pressure with your dad trying to become a travel author or anything like that? He's really good about uh, being anti-nepotistic. So anything that I intended to do, I had to earn it myself. And that's what we've done with Weekend Student Adventures, with my book, with my podcast. It's been a lot of work, but a fun challenge because I get to meet amazing locals on the road who lead my tours, but also provide me insights so that I could update uh, the book to this degree of, of quality. So let's go back to the book a little bit. In the introduction, again, you kind of talk about saying yes, like not being a yes man the entire trip. Can you explain like how being a yes man or yes woman for a night or even for you know a couple hours could help your experience as you're over overseas? All within reason. All right, I, I got to add that little disclaimer. Say yes as much as you possibly can and still be safe, of course. But what you got to do when you're traveling is embrace those unexpected experiences. If somebody says, hey, I'm having an apartment party later tonight, a house party, and all you got to do is bring a bottle of wine and, and join us, say yes, because that is such an incredible opportunity to, to make connections with other people with a completely different perspective, with a different nationality. But um, uh, those opportunities just kind of fall into your lap if you present a open and um, ready to engage with your surroundings sort of uh, posture. And it just happens to me when I when I go out and I put myself out there and I, I work hard on being that extrovert that I'm not necessarily back here in the States just, just uh, slumming around. So if you do say yes to like bringing a bottle of wine to a party, like a house party, um, are there any risks like involved when you go overseas and you kind of like embrace that culture or like what do you have like tips wise when it comes to, you know, being safe and being, um, you know, comfortable as you try to ex experience these new perspectives? When it comes to travel in Europe, that's safer than almost anything but sitting on your couch at home, bottom line. Um, but uh, And I have a podcast uh, all about travel tips and safety, and I always ask the solo female travelers that I have as guests on my show, what do you do to stay safe while you're on the road? It's always great to travel with a friend, but make sure that's a good travel buddy because you got to make sure your priorities are aligned. Um, so go with a friend if you can. Otherwise, trust your gut. You know, really trust your gut. Keep your eyes open open and just try to develop some street smarts where you can, if you have an okay feeling with it, if you know you're going to a location that uh, uh, is well lit and, you know, in the center, you should be fine. If it requires a 40 minute drive outside of the city, maybe think twice about it. So kind of going off that last thing with weekend student ventures, you take um, upwards of, is it a hundred students or like, what's the biggest group you guys have? 
The biggest group we ever had was in Dublin for St. Paddy's Day. We had 129, and that was a party. Um, <laughs> but uh, generally, we focus on providing uh, opportunities for small group travel, groups between 8 to 16 people. And what I found is that that gets us into restaurants that don't take the big groups, that gets us into boutique and quality hostels, um, and it is a chance so that my local guides can really engage with each person on our experiences. Um, that's why I like the, the small group travel. Yeah, and I was kind of mentioning or like referencing that uh, Dublin trip because you talked about, you know, a lot of these kids that go are 18 and this is the first time they ever get to go to a bar. Mm -hmm. How do you, even with a small group, how do you kind of um, keep the people safe that you take overseas if it, this might be their f first time ever going out? <clears throat> a couple things there. One is uh, Americans tend to, well, let me start it this way. Europeans like to have a glass of wine with dinner or sip uh, a couple beers while listening to music. Americans are the only ones that play beer pong or flip cup or, you know, uh, uh, you know, Jaeger bombs or whatever. You can name it the, the drinking game. But um, so what we try to do off the top is just follow local drinking culture. And so that means having a glass of wine with dinner in Paris or that means having a pint with your with your dinner at we go to a monastery brewery in Prague. Um, so they they brew their own beer. So we have some goulash and beer with lunch. You know, that's very typical. What's not typical is just pounding beers to, to the point where you can't really walk straight. Um, that's what we, you know, if people are seeking that out, that, that information's out there. But we try to uh, emulate the local culture. So, you know, in your book, you kind of talk about Amsterdam, Barcelona, all these kind of places that people would like to go. Is there like a specific place overseas? Like, do you live overseas? Like, do you love one city more than the other? Do you like to stay one place more than the other? Or is it kind of just, you know, hopping from place to place? It's a long story. It's a long story, Gabe. But um, for the for six years, more or less, I was spending most of my time in Prague. My first tour that ever sold out was, uh, was Prague in October of 2010. Um, and it was a great tour, and that's when I realized, oh, I think I'll need to be spending more time here because it's going to be that much more popular. Well, the thing about that weekend was it was just a friend that brought 20 friends with her, and she was the, the mover and shaker. So I went through the process of getting a visa, uh, getting a residence permit and all that good stuff, bank account. Um, but now I've been on the road, and I've spent a good chunk of time in Colombia, actually in Medellin, for the last year. And that has given me opportunity to practice my Spanish, try some salsa, and uh, and actually learn how to garden as well. That There's as much sun in Medellin as I think is here in Colorado. <laughs> Awesome. Well, kind of weekend student adventures. I kind of want to ask you, you did appear on Shark Tank. How did that, how did that experience kind of go? That was incredible. So, uh, I pitched Shark Tank, I don't know, two, three years ago, and it was a chance for me to really develop my business plan, my, my, uh, investor pitch and, uh, cut my teeth in a very competitive, uh, circuit and going out in front of those sharks was really intense, but I practiced, I knew my numbers and I was really, um, I know my business inside and out. And so, uh, it was fun to share about the business, but unfortunately they're looking for gadgets or, um, you know, products that you can take over to China, spin up and, and mass produce. Um, a, a manually organized weekend tour company for students abroad in Europe just didn't really ring their bells, unfortunately. Yeah, so, I mean, I was imagining. Yeah, so I uh, I was in a strong point, and so I asked for a, a healthy sum, and I didn't have any bites, unfortunately. <laughs> but it was an incredible experience altogether. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Um, when it comes to weekend student adventures, again, um, 
God, it's kind of just lost my question. Oh, yeah. So do you only do <laughs> students or is it people who like if you graduate college, do you still offer opportunities to people who might be in mid 20s and 30s? Or is it just specifically tailored to kids like us? If I could if I could rebrand and rename WSA, I would. Weekend Student Adventures is a, a name that really corners you a little bit. And we do more than weekends and we offer trips for more than just students as well. Um, we've known that for a couple of years. And so we've branched out to andysteves.com, A-N-D-Y-S-T-E-V-E-S dot com, um, where we offer basically the same itinerary, but we stay in budget hotels, boutique hotels that that we're familiar with, that we work with. You get the same great guides, the same great value and experience, um, but it gets you out of the six to eight bed dorms that we that our student groups stay in. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, one of my last questions to you is you kind of talk about um, student IDs kind of work overseas. Do you have to apply for a student ID when you go over there? Or if I went overseas, could I use my CSU ID to kind of get into museums in Rome or Paris? <clears throat> Europe has a great program where or all the all the countries of Europe and all the cultures of Europe really uh, subsidize their students. So uh, food is cheaper. Museums are cheaper. Uh, public transportation tickets are cheaper. And so it's great to bring your student ID with you, whether it's a CSU ID. Um, what they really look for is your birthday. They, they're checking to see if you're under 25 or 26. And as long as it says student on it, that's great. I know some American stu- uh, universities offer ID cards with your birthday, some not. Um, so bring your passport and a student ID. And if you really want to look into it, check out ISIC, the ISIC, International Student Identity Card, and take a look at all the discounts that that might get you, and then you can decide if that's worth getting an official international student identity card. But uh, we have tips like that on our website yeah. as well. Yeah. Would you advise every student to study abroad at least once in their time in college? Yes, and I am gearing up for the second season of my podcast, Andy Steve's Travel. Um, I actually just had a guest on the show yesterday who was talking all about all the um, the scholarships and the grants and all the money that's out there to ha- facilitate and help students study abroad. So I know the, the primary concern is budget and how much does it cost to actually study internationally. It is it is worth it. You'll you'll grow so much personally. You'll learn so much outside of the classroom as well. It'll broaden your horizon. And just remember, drop into your study abroad office and ask about the, the scholarships that are available out there. My company offers a $500 scholarship. So you can check that out at WSAEurope.com as well. Awesome. Well, Andy, I think we're running out of time. Uh, that's Andy Steves. Uh, thank you so much. I know that you have a uh, book uh, book thing tonight. Would you like to just tell the audience about that? Yeah. If anybody wants to learn more, I'm doing a talk at Old Firehouse Bookstore at 6 p.m. Come out. It's about a 40-minute presentation on just some of the highlights that I picked up from updating my guidebook. I'm sticking around for questions. If you need some advice on your upcoming travels, please come out and, uh, and say hi. Awesome. Well, that was Andy Steves, author of Europe, City Hopping on a Budget. Thank you so much for stopping in studio. I think we're going to take a quick break here at the Rocky Mountain Review, but when we come back, we will jump right into local news, so stay tuned. Yep, you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review only here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. KCSU works hard to bring you the best in new music, local music, local news, and local sports. If you would like to support us with more than just your ears, please donate. Go to kcsufm.com donate to contribute to our commercial-free programming. Thank you for the support.
Welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review. I am Julia Battalise. I am one of two co-hosts. I'm in here with my co-host, Gabe Peterson. How's it going? Not bad. Uh, I'm also in here with uh, our national news correspondent, J.D. Layton, as well as our next news director. Howdy, howdy. Hello. Um, and our uh, field reporter, Seth Boding. Hello. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> the fields are snowy slash rainy. Yes, I know. It's crazy. It's the worst. Um, <laughs> so actually, Seth has a kind of, we're going to jump into a little mini local roundtable. Seth has a story regarding a lawsuit, if you want to take that away, Seth. Sure. So um, on March 20th, a lawsuit was filed by 12 Colorado State University alumni. Um, and they're suing for allegedly not accrediting its landscape architecture graduate program, despite promises from the university. The lawsuit filed uh, by the at the Denver District Court on March 20th alleges that the students incurred financial damages through expenses such as tuition, cost of living, and debt from the master's program. Other damages listed include lost and reduced earnings and lost lost opportunities as a result from attending a non-accredited program. The lawsuit demands CSU to repay the student's tuition and pay for the related litigation fees. While the master's program was not accredited by the Landscape Architecture Accreditation Board of the American Society of Landscape Architects, the lawsuit alleges that the students attended the program because CSU said they would pursue accreditation. According to the lawsuit, the, prog- the program was not accredited when the first class of students graduated, but the university continued to promise accreditation. In an email exchange between CSU alumna Aaron Brown and horticulture and landscape architecture professor Bradley Goetz, between May 8, 2012 and May 9, 2012, Goetz responded to Brown's concerns that the program, which began in the fall of 2010, was not accredited. At the time, Brown was a prospective student at the program. Quote, the program cannot be accredited until after there was, has been a graduating class, Goetz wrote. We plan to work toward accreditation according to the process identified by the Landscape Architecture Board. CSU alumnus Scott Preston emailed horticulture and land architecture professor Bradley Goetz on November 3, 2014, inquiring about the accreditation timeline. Quote, I'm staring at a mountain of debt from attending the program and really just want to know if there is a commitment to this goal, he wrote. The only reason I came to CSU is because this was promised. And around May 23rd, 2017, Preston was told in, in a letter by Jessica Davis, the department head of horticulture and landscape architecture, that CSU would not be pursuing accreditation and was never pursuing it. Furthermore, Davis wrote that the program was on hiatus. And the Collegian has reached out to the university, but is still waiting for a response in its developing story. <clears throat> Can you read that last quote again? They said that, they're, that it, w- they were never promised accreditation for this program. Is that what you just said? They um, is that what were never officials? pursuing it. But you do have like those emails saying that like, I guess I'm, because I'm kind of confused. Is this the first graduating class of this program? So the the plaintiffs are graduating. They're all alumni from the period of around 2012 to 2017. And they were basically the lawsuit alleges that they were promised accreditation and they didn't. The program didn't end up getting accredited. So Hmm. um, 
And if you want to be a landscape architect, uh, accreditation is pretty important yeah. for oh, yeah. something uh, like yeah, that. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm just, I mean, wow. Yeah, <laughs> just another lawsuit, I guess. But, uh, um, yeah, that's just tough. I don't know. We'll see how that plays out. I yeah. mean, I'm kind of confused by the whole thing. They said they were promised, and now they're not promised. So, I mean. Yeah, you know, I think it's just um, administration thing process yeah. is really unpredictable. I think they're just came in yeah. into a bind really yeah. well jd is the next news director will probably keep you updated on that story <laughs> as i feel that that'll probably be a few months or yeah it'll it'll probably pro- pop yeah. up but, again yeah it'll pop up again um well yeah thank you Seth. that article is now on the collegian.com right it is yeah. awesome so if anybody's like more interested in that you guys can uh you know go there but um yeah we're, we're actually gonna give it back to seth because yeah. we're going to local news so All right <laughs> So uh, a local Fort Collins man is okay after surviving a fall while rock climbing at Horsetooth Reservoir on Sunday afternoon, according to Jennifer Hefty of the Coloradoan. The man fell around 2 p.m. near a place called Duncan Ridge. He was climbing with friends who were able to pull him to the top of the rock using his climbing rope, which he was still attached to. There, he waited until emergency crews were able to rescue him. He had a few slight injuries, but was alert and talking when rescuers arrived at the scene. They moved him to an ambulance in a special rescue basket. The incident has reigniting talks about climbing safety. The Colorado provided safety tips courtesy of the Poudre Fire Authority, including don't climb alone, tell someone when you are going climbing and how long you will be, don't reach for fallen objects and prepare for all weather conditions this is a horse tooth right yeah i think uh i think actually my roommate like saw this happen or not like saw it happen but was like kind of there when everything was like going down and they were like getting him because she like came home and she was like this dude fell at horse tooth and like i feel so. like that yeah has to happen it does frequently. a lot and yeah. that's you know rock climbing accidents are very common here in colorado and that's yeah. why you have to tell people where you're going. You have yeah. to let people know that you're there, and you have to let them know the time frame so that if anything like that does happen and no one's there to see it, um, you'll be safe. So thank yeah. you, Seth. Um, yeah, and I'll have the last local story. So um, an annual Poudre River cleanup has been called off because of new city requirements meant to protect volunteers from needles, human waste, and more along the river's shores. According to J.C. Marmaduke of the Coloradoan, Mountain Whitewater dissents the company that usually puts on the event canceled because organizers felt highly discouraged by Fort Collins's national, uh, sorry, Natural Areas staff said co-owner Brad Modisit. Stricter volunteer requirements came about this spring because the city was concerned about abandoned homeless and transient camps near the river, said Fort Collins Natural Area Director John Stokes. The camps are sometimes littered with hazardous waste like drugs, alcohol, broken bottles, and soiled clothing, he said. Quote, we haven't uh, discouraged anyone from volunteering with us, Stroke said. Uh, he simply asked them to work with us to comply with safety protocols that are frankly pretty limited. Natural Areas hired a Surf Pro, a third-party contractor, to deal with abandoned camps along the river and throughout the city. Staff members tally abandoned camps on a GIS database. The new volunteer requirements say that one one trained volunteer or staff member must accompany uh, every 10 to 12 volunteers, and all volunteers must view a five-minute safety video. The additional training instructs volunteers to steer clear of potentially hazardous materials. Brad Modisit said the new requirements were, to intense, um, were too intensive for their volunteer pool. 
staff told him he would be very he would be viable liable if any volunteers were hurt during the cleanup which he said he found worrisome as a small business owner and uh that is going to conclude local news and uh, i'm going to send it over to gabe peterson he's taking over for bjorn today for sports yeah i am so let's talk a little baseball the rams baseball team will take on the university of colorado in a three-game series starting on april 28th at city park field in fort collins in the annual rocky mountain showdown the winner of this series will be crowned the Midwest. Wow, sorry, the Midwest <laughs> Conference champion and punch their ticket to the National Club Baseball Association Regional Playoffs. CSU was looking to defend its conference championship while the Buffaloes are searching for their first in program history. "Quote: Every day this week will be filled with hard work, which is fueled by the adversity that we have been through so much this season." Starting pitcher Falon Castellano said. We had to work our butts off every single day and fight tooth and nail for most of the wins that we have had this season. Nothing new here. Let's talk about tennis. Colorado State's women's tennis team returned home to the CSU Tennis Complex to finish out the regular season with two matches against the University of Northern Colorado and Wyoming last weekend. After clinching their 11th win of the season against UNC, the Rams fell in the border war to the Cowgirls. Priscilla Palermo and singles record holder Alyssa Grijalva dominated their opponents. With the conclusion of the regular season, the Rams will head into the Mountain West Tournament in Boise, Idaho. The four-day series begins on April 26th, and that is the conclusion of sports. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. Um, well, we are going to come back in just a second with national news. We'll be talking a little bit about um, some airlines news. We have two stories about airlines. I was surprised there was so much going on with airlines right now. Um and then, uh, as well, we'll have um, our Rocky Mountain music segment done by our own DJ Danish. So stay tuned. You are listening to the Rocky Mountain Review only here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. The annual Ram Slam Volleyball Tournament, sponsored by Hawk Walk for Water, is taking place on Friday, April 27th from 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. on the CSU Intramural Fields. Participants can form teams to play four versus four games in either the competitive or recreational leagues. There is a $20 entry fee for all teams. Visit collegian.com slash ramslam for more information. And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review. I am Julia Battalese. I'm one of two co-hosts. I'm here with my co-host, Gabe Peterson. Hello. Uh, as well as our reporter, Seth Bodine. Hello. And our national news correspondent and next news director, J.D. Layton. You didn't even give Seth his full title. It's field reporter. Yes. I acknowledge what He's you do. He's not in a field right now, so you I know, feel like... I spend most of my time in fields. <laughs> Frolicking? I'm just Frolicking. kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, reporting. Reporting. <laughs> I like that go. better. I like that better. <laughs> what are you doing in the fields? Frolicking? I mean, um, reporting? <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to go straight into national news, um, and that is actually me. I didn't even realize that. Hello. Take it um, away. A Colorado woman flying back from France was fined $500 by U.S. Customs and Border Protection for contraband, which was just an apple. Uh, in addition to the large fine, her global entry status was revoked, according to the Washington Post. The Apple was acquired by Crystal Tadlock, the passenger, during her first flight on Delta Airlines as part of an in-flight meal from Paris to the United States. She kept the Apple in her carry-on for later, and when she landed in Minnesota to board her flight to Denver, um, she had the run-in with the Customs and Border Protection agent, according to CBS Denver. Tadlock told CBS 4's Melissa Garcia that she apologized to the agent for having the Apple and offered to throw it away, but he wouldn't let her do that and proceeded to fine her the $500. 
which is absurd. Um, <laughs> as well, on um, in other airlines news, a 28-year-old Chicago man named Jacob Garcia was tased by police 10 times before taking off on a flight from Miami to Chicago. Garcia was said to be belligerent during boarding and was harassing the woman sitting next to him. Eventually, a fight broke out between Garcia and the woman's uh, boyfriend, according to the Washington Post. It was also found that Garcia was yelling racial slurs at multiple passengers on board. The flight crew had all the passengers deboard, and Miami uh, Miami da- sorry Miami Dade police officers entered the aircraft to detain Garcia. When ara- when resisting arrest, he taunted the officers to tase him. They ended up tasing him um, ten times before it could t- before it could take adequate effect. Still, they had trouble getting him to comply and sit down in the back of the police golf cart. Once in the golf cart, he attempted but failed to take the handgun of one of the officers. According to the Miami Herald, Garcia was booked in, um, into jail on charges of battery, disorderly conduct, resisting an officer without violence, criminal mischief, and attempting to deprive an officer with means of protection. Criminal mischief. I like that one. <laughs> yeah, the minute I said that, I was like, hmm, that's an interesting... I never heard of that. But uh, no, that's... I feel like airlines are having a lot of problems. I don't know what, but I feel like every time that someone gets on board, there's like something crazy happening. I mean, if you're belligerent and you're, yeah, I mean, that that was warranted. That was the the Apple story is kind of intriguing though. Yeah. The way, the way the uh, second story was going with, uh, I I know his last name was Garcia, but, um, Jacob Garcia, the way he was acting was crazy. Um, cause he, he was said to have been like harassing the woman. Um, but the, the other the other woman was just had an apple that she got from another airline and yeah, they're like, that, "Whoops, sorry, five hundred dollars." That is that <laughs> is a little uh, goofy. Yeah. I don't know about y'all, but I see the connection here. We need to make planes illegal. <laughs> okay, then boom. we don't have any of this. <laughs> but how are you going to travel with <laughs> Andy Steve if you do that? <laughs> we got boats. <laughs> we got <laughs> trains. <laughs> we got oh, legs. Y'all anyway, never heard bikes. of Titanic? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, JD, you have the next national story. Why don't you take it away? <laughs> Michael Bloomberg has pledged $4.5 million to the Paris Climate Accord to help cover the cost of the U.S., who under President Donald Trump has backed out of the agreement, reports Anmar Frangul of CNBC. Bloomberg stated on Sunday uh, to CBS that America made a commitment, and as an American, if the government's not going to do it, we all have a responsibility. I'm able to do it, so yes, I'm going to send them a check for the money that they that America has promised the organization as though they got it from the federal government. Bloomberg's charity, Bloomberg Philanthropies, would be making the $4.5 million donation to the UN Climate Change Secretariat to help fund global climate mitigation efforts, and according to Bloomberg Philanthropies, an additional allocation of funds will be available if the U.S. continues to not support the Paris Climate Accord. The Paris Climate Accord was signed by the U.S. in 2015 by President Barack Obama and was aimed at lowering emissions to 2 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. However, under Donald, un, however, under President Donald Trump, the U.S. backed out of the agreement due to fears that it might hinder economic performance. The U.N. Climate Change Secretariat's Executive Secretary, well, that's a mouthful, Patricia Espinoza stated in response to Bloomberg's funding pledge that I welcome this generous generous contribution from Bloomberg Philanthropies as an important practical recognition of our need to work together and to step up our response to climate change. Man, all those words blended together and just like a spaghetti mash of 
You actually did a very good job, though, at handling it. Just a lot. (laughs) This title right here, the the UN Climate Change Secretariat's Executive Secretary. The Secretariat has an Executive Secretary. That's a lot of Well, I think the Secretariat is an institution, and this is the Executive Secretary of the Secretariat. That's... Within the UN. That's a lot. (laughs) Whoa. Uh, (laughs) All right. Well, um, that was the end of national news. Overwhelmed. (laughs) (laughs) Basically. Um, That was the end of national and global news. We'll be moving into our Rocky Mountain music segment done by our own DJ Danish. So uh, stay tuned. That's coming up right now. You are listening to the Rocky Mountain Review only here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Driving has a rhythm all its own. Don't wreck it with a text. Before you get behind the wheel, silence your phone. Or better yet, designate a texter. For more text-free driving tips, visit StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. And welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review here on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. I am Gabe Peterson, one of two hosts here on the show. Joining the studio with Julie Badalise, my co-host. Hello. J- J.D. Leightonson in the back, our national news correspondent. Seth Bodine, our field reporter. Hello. Hello. And Dylan <laughs> Simonson is here for our pot talk. How are you doing, Dylan? Good. How about you? I'm doing good. So, I mean, I think everybody out there knows, especially here in Colorado, last week was a, uh, was a I guess, holiday of some sorts for some certain people. Um 420. So, Dylan, you kind of have the backdrop on it and all that. Take it away. Yeah. So, uh, 420 this year was a pretty calm event in comparison to recent years. Action Bronson played the Aggie Civic Center's yearly event this year under the name of the Mile High 420 Festival. Went smoothly and featured Lil Wayne, Lil John, and the remaining Whalers, and no major issues occurred. <laughs> occurred. Uh, accord- <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> Uh, according to Nine News, there were 64 citations for public smoking at Civic Center Park, which was two times as many as last year at 32. Uh, when asked, the Denver police didn't give a reason why there was no more when there were just as many people consuming illegally. Um, so instead, they responded by saying that it was up to the individual officers. Uh, last year, the original owners of the permit for the 420 rally were banned for three years due to trash that was left everywhere and general concerns about safety. Uh, this year, Euflora sponsored the event and did a great job, and according to Sydney Karvosky of Denver Parks and Recreation, the event ran smoothly. Um, so with the recent holiday, many of you are wondering, you know, where does the number 420 come from? What's, where does it, you know, what's its origin story? So, uh, 420 comes from a group of high schoolers in San Rafael, California, back in the 70s, 1971 specifically, is the first recorded use of 420. Um, and they were called the Waldos. Uh, they were called the Waldos because, like many stoners, they like to smoke by a wall. Um, so they heard about a Coast Guard who had a bunch of marijuana crops that he had to ditch uh, nearby. So... During school for code, they would tell each other, uh, 420, Louie, so their teachers wouldn't know what they were talking about. Um, 
And that meant that they were going to meet by a Louis Pasteur statue that was near the school uh, after their athletic practices, and they were going to get high and go look for this mystery crop. Um, so later, it was just shortened to 420, and uh, sadly, the plants were never found by the group. But they, you know, kept smoking, referring to everything as 420. And um, an older brother of one of the Waldos was good friends with the bassist of the Grateful Dead, Phil Lesh, and um, was kind of like a roadie for him. So eventually, the Waldos were introduced, and, you know, they were backstage with the dead, and a joint would be passed around, and they'd be like, oh, 420, as they, you know, grabbed it and hit it. You know, so the dead eventually picked it up, and uh, their, you know, followers, the deadheads, would, you know, use it too eventually. And um, eventually, a High Times reporter would hear the phrase um, as a flyer was passed around at a concert he was going to that's, that said people would be meeting at 420 on 420 for 420ing. And uh, <laughs> now, so then High Times picked it up, and now it's history. You know, it's used everywhere. It's, you know, a stoner's favorite holiday. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, that's interesting. So it kind of just came from, I mean, obviously California, you know, mm -hmm. that's probably like, you know, where the whole stoner culture kind of originated. I mean, but uh, yeah, that is interesting. The Waldos, huh? The Waldos, yeah. Group of five high school boys. So let's go back to uh, the Civic Center, um, like, citation. So there were mm. there was twice as many this year as there was last year. Yeah, for public consumption. It, was that for people who were under the age of 21, do you know? Or was that people who didn't have their uh, medicinal license? So that was just for anyone uh, publicly smoking. Uh, it doesn't really matter. Uh, if you have your license, if you were under 21, the event actually had, you know, a check-in booth where you're supposed to show your ID and um, check your bags. So it shouldn't have been anyone under 21. Uh, but, yeah, it was just up to the officer's discretion on when they decide to give these public consumption uh, tickets. So my guess would be it was, you know, over excessive use um, or those who were, you know, kind of like causing a ruckus with it you know yeah. purposefully like maybe blowing it in someone's faces or something like that i don't know definitely i do remember those pictures from last year um on 420 last year in the civic center park where it was completely trashed and it, it was i mean it kind of makes you think like can mm. we have these kind of events do you know if there's any pictures out there you said that the parks and rec supervisor said it went smoothly do you think people were more aware of that to say if we continue to trash this like people are still going to have that stigma about us and we're not going to be allowed to come back here oh yeah definitely um there's there were pictures taken of civic center park the next day and it was perfectly clean um one of the organizers said that they uh left it cleaner than when they got there and uh they had it done by 8 a.m on saturday even though they didn't have to have it done by midnight so that was a really great thing um it was done way earlier than expected so you know yeah i believe that it'll continue to go smoothly from here on out yeah no, i know i think so too i think like the past few years there was a shooting a few years ago at civic center park wasn't there yeah i was actually at that rally yes yeah, so, i mean i know a few people who were there too it was kind of a scary moment but i feel like every single year uh continues to get better mm -hmm. I mean, last year was trash but this year seems like they were uh respectful mm. and kind of you know consciously aware that um, if we continue to trash this place, like we're not going to be able to come back. Yeah, I believe people are starting to see like, hey, um, we're the forefront of this movement. We're the face of it. So we have to look good here in Colorado specifically. Yeah, awesome. And uh, did you write any articles in the Collegian last week for that uh, 420 
sponsored um, newspaper? No, I didn't actually, but uh, Joint Venture had a special 420 show, oh, so cool. we did that. Instead. Oh, yeah. I thought that that was super cool that they kind of did like a whole magazine. I think it's, mm, yeah, it's it I mean, awesome. it's gaining prominence in Colorado especially, but, um, you know, you can be responsible and you can be a productive citizen if you do uh, consume marijuana on a daily basis, and I think, mm. you know, just kind of making the park clean kind of shows that people are capable of, you know, smoking pot and being, mm. you know, just as normal as somebody else who doesn't smoke weeds so yeah definitely yeah, absolutely sure. well yeah i mean uh, i think that's going to be the end of the pot talk thank you so much dylan for coming on i really appreciate it oh no problem thank you yep. yeah we'll be uh taking a quick break here but we'll be coming back with uh weather so yeah stay tuned you are listening to the rocky mountain review only here on 90.5 kcsu fort collins from Amen, and we've come for your parents on KCSU. Welcome back to the Rocky Mountain Review. I am Julia Battalese. I'm one of two co-hosts. I'm here with my co-host, Gabe Peterson. How's it going? Not bad. I'm also here with our reporter, Seth Bodine. Hello, field. Hello. Please stop it. And uh, our national news correspondent, our next co-news director, and the next person that I'm probably going to turn the mic off on, J.D. Layton. Howdy, howdy. It's a long title. (laughs) Howdy, howdy. (laughs) Um, All right, Gabe, do you have the the weather ready? I do. My uh, my internet connection connected just in time, so (laughs) we're good. Um, Yeah, I mean, as Seth mentioned earlier today, the fields are snowy, and it is a little rainy, and it is cold, but... Sweater weather today, so that was nice to see. Anyways, moving on to tomorrow, Wednesday. It's going to be warm tomorrow, everybody. When you wake up in the morning, it's going to be kind of chilly, like 45 degrees. But as, you know, two, like 2 p.m., 3 p.m. rolls around, it's going to be upwards of 66 degrees. Uh, looks, looks like there's going to be a little wind, 10 miles an hour, but no chance of rain, no cloud cover. It's going to be a bright, blue, sunny day. And then when we have our show next on Thursday, Mm, looking a little uh, partly cloudy, high 60, but wind at 20 miles an hour. So it's going to be in yet another windy day, uh, 20% precipitation. So it might, you know, just light drizzle, light drizzle on Thursday. But uh, yeah, and then for the rest of the week, you're going to have to come back on Thursday and listen to the Rocky Mountain Review <laughs> to, uh, to hear Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. True. Every time that there's wind, it's just... It's just setting me up for failure. Yeah, it sucks. Uh, <laughs> Hair-wise, anyway. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, that's the end of our show. Um, you can tune in for the Rocky Mountain Review every Tuesday and Thursday, 4 to 5 p.m. Um, we're ending the semester, so we're getting really close to our last sh- uh, last few shows. So we'll probably have uh, J.D. Layton and uh, Emily Ma- uh, Moshak be taken over pretty soon. Um, eh. <laughs> um, uh, undecided. <laughs> we're coming. We might veto. We'll be taking the job. You can't stop us. Maybe. Oh, my God. (laughs) We'll see Maybe. Um, Anyway, yes, we'll be coming back here on Thursday. So um, if you're interested in local news, national news, sports, music, weed sometimes, science, we'll be having that again on uh, Thursday. We, uh, yeah, so this has been the Rocky Mountain Review. Yeah, you're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins.